I'm Adele Campbell, and I will be reading the scripture this morning. The scripture is taken from Acts chapter 17, 16 to 34, reading from the Acts of the Apostles. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons, and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Also, some Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debated with him. Some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a pro proclaimer of foreign divinities. This was because he was telling the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim you, the God who made the world and everything in it, he who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor, he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him, though he, indeed, he is not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. While God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent 
because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising from the dead. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some scoffed, but others said, we will hear you again about this. At that point, Paul left them, but some of them joined him and became believers, including Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. I went to hand Adele a chocolate and she said, no thanks, I'm wearing white. <laughs> Just don't put it in your pocket for later. That's all I'm trying to say. Let's pray. Uh, the beauty is that you speak, the heavens cry out your glory beauty is that you speak to us through this word. You speak to us when your word is spoken again, and I pray that your living word be spoken through these poor human words, and that it may bring life. In Jesus' name, amen. So this past week, one of our neighbor's kids came over to play. Five years old, the same as my daughter Martha. As I was doing dishes in the kitchen, I overheard one of their conversations. The neighbor picked up this bizarre looking milk carton, caterpillar from the dining table, and she was very excited about it. Where did you get this? She said to Martha. Martha, I made it, she said. Then she added, in church. What's church? Our guest asked, somewhat bewildered. Church is where my dad works, Martha replied. What happens there? Asked our guest. We get treats in the hall, <laughs> Martha said. No, we, we talk about God. That's all. At least she got that part. There was this pause. What's God? The neighbor girl asked finally. And Martha was totally surprised by this. And she said, you don't know who God is? <laughs> no, said the neighbor. Well, Martha said, let's go play with the hamster. Five-year-old attention span for you. Perfect moment, Martha. You blew it. You know, I was just as surprised as Martha. You don't know who God is, seriously. I mean, like, God is pretty popular. Uh, even has various Twitter accounts, apparently. Uh, you don't have, 
you haven't overheard someone talking about God on TV, didn't stumble across a children's Bible somewhere. It was like somebody who's never seen Star Wars, you know? You're like, who doesn't know who Luke's father is? Like, who doesn't know who or what God is? Well, the answer is that a lot of people don't know who God is or what God is. Martha's been to church since age zero. I didn't grow up going to church. I went to a Richard Thompson concert, and then I came to church. But my parents grew up with at least some church experience, and their parents couldn't escape going to church. Christianity was more or less the water we all swam in. We kind of got God through osmosis just by default, by existing. And now a couple generations removed, Jesus, Bible, Christianity, God, these are more or less unknown to us. It's like the little neighbor girl was visiting a foreign country at our house and inquiring as to their customs. What is this? Who is God? What are you guys doing? What is church? You know, at least our two cultures had hamsters in common, so we could kind of communicate about hamsters together. Now, this shift has caused much anxiety and consternation among Christians. Some of us are worried about the future of our churches. Some of us feel grief over our children rejecting the faith. Some of us are worried that the moral foundations of our Western culture will wither away with the decline of church attendance. And some of us are worked up, angry, combative, ready to go to war. It's worrisome for some of us and uh, extremely upsetting for others. Now, some of these worries are valid. I have my fair share of worries and griefs about just about everything. But I've come to the inclusion, conclusion that there is perhaps another way Christians could be thinking about this change in our culture. And it can be found, who would have guessed, in the Bible. Today's Bible passage is from the Acts of the Apostles, Acts being the sequel to Luke's Gospel, Luke's biography of Jesus, the story of the earliest church following Jesus' death and resurrection. So it's all about Jesus' followers after he uh, is, has ascended. And here we have the Apostle Paul. Oh, sorry, that's my good. Anyway, here we go. Here we have the Apostle Paul, a preacher, teacher, and church planter. Jesus came to him in a flash of light and turned his life around, and he's making his way through the Greek city of Athens. You know, Athens is at the heart of ancient Greek life and learning, and for the whole of the Mediterranean, the whole Roman world, think Harvard or Silicon Valley or, or Hollywood, maybe kind of a mix of the three. And he's astounded by the number of idols around. You can kind of see uh, some of the images here. The statues, the arts depicting various Greek gods. I like to think of Paul as kind of like akin to the small town bumpkin rolling into Las Vegas for the first time, you know, the fluorescent flashing of Sin City signs advertising just about every, uh, just about every band pleasure there is. Paul is not in Kansas anymore. He's not in Jerusalem anymore. Whereas with our little neighbor girl visiting from another country to us, Paul is kind of going in the reverse direction. He's entering into a culture which is not his own, doesn't share his values. They have no idea who God is, at least not the God of, of Israel. They know gods, but they're not sure of God. And like many of us modern Christians, Paul finds it rather shocking, rather shocking. 
Paul finds Athens alarming, offensive even. What's most interesting, though, is how Paul engages and interacts with these idolatrous pagans. It's the home of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle, so of course these are philosophers just wandering around everywhere on every street corner. You know, you imagine Fifth Street, you know, some guy in a toga walks up to you. Hey, have you heard uh, Plato's newest thing? Um, Paul finds himself in the local marketplace debating some Epicureans and Stoics, representatives of the two big cutting-edge schools of Greek philosophy. Paul, this short, bald Jew, starts telling these sophisticated, toga-clad philosophers all about God and Jesus, and they're kind of, they're kind of mystified. They're like, who's this babbler? Who's this, what's he talking about? This guy is clearly an immigrant of some kind, hawking foreign divinities. You know, he must be from somewhere else entirely because we have never heard of what he's talking about. You know, this is a culture that's even more in the dark about the God of Israel, about basic Christian stuff, than our own culture. But you know, they're also curious. They're also curious. So they drag Paul to this place called the Aeropagus. It's this open-air space where the local council gathers and the whole city gets together to talk about ideas, debate important issues. I don't know if we have a place like that anymore. Um, Facebook, I don't know. Not, you know <laughs> things are probably not uh, curious on there usually, but this is where they go to debate ideas and talk them out, and they bring Paul over, and they're like, hey, we've never heard this stuff before. Could you, like, clarify it for us? You know, like, what is church? Uh, what's a Jesus? That sort of question, right? They're curious. Like, whenever somebody, anybody asks me what I do for a living and reply, pastor, half the people, you know, scrunch their faces up and change the subject and, you know, their eyes gloss over and uh, they hope I just go away. But the other half, the other half, they're usually genuinely interested and ask a lot of follow-up questions. I had to explain uh, what Lent was, uh, you know, over beers at somebody's birthday party a couple of months ago. People would like, inquiring minds like to know these things. You know, luckily, Paul's attention span is longer than my five-year-old's of course. You know, he doesn't change the subject to playing with small rodents at this point. What about the hamsters? Uh, when he's given his chance to speak, he takes it. You know, this is his chance to really lay into those Athenians and their idolatry to convict them of their ignorance and their foolishness. You know, what do you mean you don't know about Jesus? You're going to find out who Jesus is soon enough. It's time to turn or burn, guys. No, Paul doesn't talk to them like that. He doesn't insult them. I see you're very religious in every way, he says. You know, in our culture, we would say, I see you're spiritual in every single way. As I was walking through the streets, I was on a stroll, and I saw this little altar, no statue, empty, and under it the plaque read to an unknown god. To an unknown God. Sarah talked a little bit about this earlier. You know, this is kind of, I mean, in my mind, it's kind of funny that the Greeks would do. They were worried about maybe insulting some God that they missed sacrificing or praying to. So they'd offer a general sacrifice 
to all the gods they missed as a kind of blanket spiritual insurance. It's kind of like, you know, when Homer Simpson at one point prays to Buddha and Allah, uh, Jesus and Superman to cover all of his bases. Paul says that unknown God, that's the one I'm talking about, the one that you keep praying to. He sees that even in sacrificing to idols, they're aiming in at least the direction of the divine. That's the God I'm talking about, he says. This God brought everything into existence. The God I'm talking about doesn't need anything from us, but gives life and breath and salvation free to all, free of charge. The God I'm talking about brought about humanity, belonging to a single family tree, and made us with a desire to seek him out, to reach out, to search, and to find him. Just think of your poets, he says. That one whose name I can't remember, he says, because he doesn't give the name, and we're not sure who that this particular one is. But he said, what did that poet say? In him we live and move and have our being. And that other one, you know, he says, for we too are his offspring. The God I'm talking about is the God who they're talking about. You know, I've never thought of Paul as kind of a pop culture expert, right? But that's exactly what he's doing. He knows the poetry of the people he's talking to, and he respects it. You know that movie where the princess was redeemed by true love? Beyonce song that was so beautiful that it made you cry. You know, Luke and Anella's album, Stringfellows, you know, you were listening to that and you felt like you were brought into this higher plane. That's what I'm talking about, Paul says. This God's already been up in your business, Paul says. Like, you guys have already met this God. You've honored this God without knowing it. This God is nearer to you than even your own breath. You've encountered this God before without even knowing it. So even though Paul is distressed, he's not stressed out. Paul can see that even the Athenians' idols are rooted in the religious impulse. It's their, Paul talked, you know, in our, we've talked about groping for God, reaching out. God may not be named nor even worshipped, but that doesn't mean God isn't present or doing stuff. He's able to look to greet culture and see the good, he's even able to see God at work in it. He's able to see God at work. Meaning that if Christians believe that God is the creator of all things, from the Big Bang to a bruised banana, and that God is the source of life for all humanity, from Albanians to Zulus, from atheists to Zoroastrians, then our posture towards our post-Christian culture can be one of inquisitiveness rather than fear. Not anxiety, but acknowledgement that God doesn't play favorites. That in fact, God's gifts, God's goodness, God's common grace is poured out gratuitously on all. Like Paul, we may be distressed. There's a lot distressing out there but we need not be stressed out. We need not lead with resentment nor rage, but the calm reassurance that God is already at work in other people's lives. It's not something we have to force or make happen, 
We can be respectful, kind, and curious, interested and interesting even because God is still God, even if people don't know who or what God is. Of course, this does raise a bit of a question. If God is at work in everything and with everybody, even people who don't know God or even people who reject God, then why Paul even bother talking to anybody else? You do you, right? I'll do me. I mean, why'd we just read the Bible? Why am I in a thing called a pulpit, preaching a sermon, when I could have just put one of those coexist stickers on my bumper and call it a day? Well, Paul does it because he believes that he's got some good news that'll change his hearers' lives in a way that their present way of thinking and being doesn't. After Paul makes all these points of overlap, these sympathetic connections between God and Greek religion and pop culture, he takes it all one step forward. He's talking about this God who created the world and all people and is at work in everyone everywhere. Then he says this, while God has overlooked the times of human ignorance, now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will have the world judged in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now I'll admit that if I were in Paul's place, I would have probably just lingered in the generalities points of agreement. Or maybe go find some hamsters to play with so we could all stay friends. But no, at this point of harmony, Paul starts dropping words like repentance and judgment and talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, I know that this rubs a lot of us, along, wrong, a lot of us the wrong way and, and people in church too. It's not just non-Christians. You know, it sounds like the opposite of that low-stress, respectful, even spiritually honoring approach I was talking about Paul taking, because it sounds like mean, judgmental Christians pointing their fingers yet again. I mean, it sounds like bad news. It was all nice, Paul, until you started talking about that. It sounds to us like bad news, but it's not bad news. The way the Athenians hear it. Because for them, for the most part, the gods are arbitrary. Humans were created as playthings to serve them. They demand sacrifice and dole out curses and punishments and blessings as they please. But Paul is saying that this unknown God, this God needs nothing from us, but instead gives us everything. Sends the rains and the just and the unjust alike. This God isn't content with the world as it is. The world with its suffering, its violence, its inhumanity. But this God will one day set the world right. For our great good and God's greater glory. In the end, this God will not hold our sins against us 
but will judge us with mercy, having taken our place on a cross. And with his resurrection, his resurrection is the seal of this promise to wipe every single tear away. sounds like it's bad news but it's good news because it means that where we might think this world is one of chaos uncertainty arbitrariness or meaninglessness it means it's actually held together by grace if this is the one in whom we move and live and have our being it means that every true turn of poetic phrase, every glimpse of truth, beauty, and goodness isn't just a grain in the blowing sands of time, but a signpost pointing to God's way. If the unknown God has been, no, has been made known in Jesus Christ, then every moment of true joy is an echo of eternity, an eternity that now belongs to each of us as a gift. One that now belongs to me and to you, even if you don't know it yet. That unknown God is a good God, and this is good news. So I want you to imagine yourself in my kitchen again. What's church? Well, it's where Martha's dad works. What happens there? We stomp our feet to Luke Guthrie and Blaine Dunaway, and we get treats in the hall. But it's also where we talk about God. Who's God, you may ask? The one who made us. The one in whom we live and move and have our being. The one who forgives us and heals us and promises to make all things new. Even you. How do we know? On account of Jesus, the one who was raised from the dead. That's how we know. And if you didn't know now, if you didn't know, now you do. Now let's go play with the hamster. Amen. Please stand to sing our hymn of the day.